The Bible reading is from John chapter 13, beginning at verse 31. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, friends, if you have that uh, passage and keep it open, if you've got it there in front of you, that'll be helpful as I refer to it throughout the talk. But today we continue on in our series looking at uh, discipleship. Uh, I hope that throughout this series that you've been challenged uh, by God's word, uh, but also encouraged in what you have been learning. It's been a real joy to hear some feedback from various people, how they have been challenged by the series, and I hope and pray that this will continue. Uh, I'm also hoping that uh, this series consolidates in your minds Uh, what it means to live as a disciple of Jesus. As I head into um, vision planning with the new parish council, I'm hoping that we'll have this at the forefront of our minds. That is, as we think about over the next 10 years, uh, what St Andrews will be founded on, I'm hoping that the principles that we have been learning throughout this series will form the foundation of what what we do as a church. That is, helping each other to obey the commands of Jesus and by and identifying ourselves as followers of his, helping each other to have our lives founded on the words of Jesus and hoping on them alone for this world and for the world to come, helping each other to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow Jesus and to put everything else second in our lives and to be those who live with the freedom that the gospel brings, those who turn to prayer first and foremost, those who do not worry but seek God's kingdom first, And all these things will be given to us. It's especially important, isn't it, as we come up to some challenging times ahead. But I'll talk more about that later on in this talk. This is what it means to live as a disciple. And so as God's word moulds us to be better disciples, it's my hope that we live such good lives that people around us question as to the way that we live. And so we can give an answer and point back to who we are in the Lord Jesus Imagine what our church would be like if we were all living this way over the next five or ten years. Last Monday, it was a real privilege for me to attend Harry Cotter's funeral, the father of Buff Dixon, to hear how he was such a faithful man, living every day as a disciple of Jesus. This is what his family testified about him, the wonderful Christian man he was and the impact that he had on them. It got me thinking... What does my life reflect? What would people say about me at my funeral? Clearly, Harry loved the Lord Jesus, and this was seen in every aspect of his life. It really shone through in the way that people spoke about him. But what happens if it was you? What would your life reflect? What about our church and its ministries? Do we reflect the love of of Jesus in every aspect of our life. Well, this is what I want us to think through a bit more today. So why don't we pray that God will help us to understand this passage. Let me pray now. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have given us your word 
and that through it we can know all things necessary for salvation and life. Teach us, we pray, to understand what your word says, how we can apply it to our lives, and send us your spirit so as to be able to hear your word clearly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we turn to this passage in John chapter 13, uh, the context is set back in verse 1 of chapter 13. Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart this world. And so the night before it uh, is to happen, he's with his disciples eating the Last Supper with them. Just prior to the passage that was read out before, Judas has betrayed Jesus, uh, well, has got up and left the uh, supper in order to betray Jesus. And so Jesus turns to the faithful disciples left behind to give his last words. After three years of ministry with his disciples, it has come to this. What does Jesus have to say? Have a look there in verse 31. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me just as I told the Jews. So I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Jesus says something is about to happen. Indeed, Jesus says, something is happening right now. He's starting to speak to his disciples about what will happen to him over the next few hours and days. Jesus is speaking about the act of leaving his disciples, of dying on the cross and and rising again, and how through this act, he will bring glory to God and God will glorify him. It's like Jesus has suddenly, after Judas has left, put the blinkers on is now focused on the task at hand. And so he wants to leave his disciples with a final instruction. And so he goes on in verse 34 to say, this is the most important thing I want to leave you with. What does it say? Jesus says, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now the disciples already knew the Ten Commandments from growing up as Jewish children. Jesus has also summed up the Ten Commandments before in the two greatest commandments of loving God and loving your neighbour as yourself. But now Jesus, at the very end of his earthly ministry, goes on to teach a new commandment to his disciples, and that is they are to love one another. The disciples are to love other disciples. Well, first, let's think through what it really means to love here. It would be easy for us to think that love in the context of the world is some sort of feeling or admiration on behalf of the individual, that you love someone if they're lovable in your eyes. It's a feeling that runs from your fingers down to your toes. I mean, this is how the world promotes love, isn't it? We see it in magazines, we see it in movies, and we even see it seeping into modern-day wedding vows when some people actually say that they are willing to marry someone as long as their love endures, which all sounds romantic and nice, but in the end, the problem is, is if the love doesn't endure, then the marriage will break down. It's a selfish love, that a person will only love on their terms, and if their terms change for some reason, in times of hardship, in times of tension 
then their love is taken away. Unfortunately, this type of self-seeking love can often seep into churches and the way that people live as Christians. I will only love Jesus as long as it helps me. I will only love people in church on my terms. When you love people with this attitude, it really is all about loving yourself, isn't it? Rather than loving others. Love in this instance becomes conditional. Conditional on, conditional on how I feel. And unfortunately, we at church are not immune to this. But this is not the love that Jesus speaks about. Rather, Jesus here speaks of a sacrificial love, not a self-serving love. Notice what he says in verse 34. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Jesus sets the model of how we are to love as, uh, as to how his disciples are to love. And the model is about not loving yourself, but being self-sacrificial. In fact, the actions that Jesus does on the cross are to define how, the, how we love. Uh, John talks about it in his epistle when he says in 1 John 4.10, This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, the ultimate act of love is when someone gives up themselves for another person. When someone gives up their lives for another person. I never knew my grandfather. He was shot down uh, over Germany during World War II. But a few years ago, I was very blessed to go to the crash site in the middle of Germany in a town called Reborn. I wish I had known him. But what I did know was the love that he had for me. Well, when I say I knew that he loved me, he, he didn't know me at all, but he knew my father, who was only two years old at the time that he went off to uh, fight uh, in the war. And he was fighting out of love for his wife and his son, and in this way was fighting for the love that he had for me and the future generations that were to come. But Jesus, on the other hand, shows greater love than this. When he gave up his life for the sins of the whole world, he didn't do it just for his friends and family, but he did it for his enemies. You see, this act of the glory of God, uh, sorry, this act was done for the glory of God. It's how God glorifies Jesus. It's how Jesus glorifies the Father. It's opposite, isn't it, to the glory that we see in the world? God's glory is humble. It's the act of Christ saving sinners. Leon Morris says that the cross reveals the heart of God as well as that of the heart of Christ. God's love in action is found on Jesus on the cross. Romans 5.10 says, For if when we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? I couldn't fathom my grandfather dying for his enemies. Yet this is what Jesus did. So in this way, Jesus is saying this is the love that we are to show, a self-sacrificial love. As Jesus has loved, we are to love. Now friends, Jesus is not giving us some friendly advice here. If you feel like it, you should love in this way. Or if you're having a good day, then love one another in this way. My friends, Jesus is giving us a command. 
A new commandment, he says, I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. Well, the second aspect that I'd like us to think through is who are we to love? Now, the answer to that we've already seen, haven't we, in what Jesus says. It's the other disciples. Jesus is speaking to the faithful 11 disciples here, as we've seen during the Last Supper. When Jesus says to them, love other disciples, he means love the other people that are in the room with you. There's nothing worse, is there, than Christians fighting with one another. I heard stories of Christians who have sued each other, who have taken each other to court, who have had long falling, falling out with one another, and sometimes even within the same church. Jesus is teaching here, this is how disciples need to act. They are to love one another and not fight with one another. A few years ago, Heather and I went to Vanuatu for a break. We were doing a early morning internal flight out of uh, Vanuatu, uh, just an internal flight out of Vanuatu airport. But the plane got cancelled and we were bumped to an afternoon flight. So we had to wait all day at this airport with nothing to do. Now, if you haven't been to Vanuatu airport, it is not a happening place. It's basically a shed that you go into. And so we were thinking, what are we going to do? We actually started a conversation with a lady there and found out she was a Christian missionary. And she said, I never chat to people in the airport, but I decided to chat to you. And after that, she invited us back to her house. She gave us lunch and she cared for us for the whole day. She says, I never do this type of thing. This is really strange. But she said, when I found out you're a Christian, she thought, I just wanted to love and care for you. Isn't that wonderful? A Christian being self-sacrificial, going out of her comfort zone in order to love other disciples of Jesus as she has been loved. But it's not just for the Christian stranger, isn't it? But Jesus calls us to love each other in the room first and foremost. And so, friends, let me ask you that question. How are you going at loving each other here at church? How are we going at living out this command of Jesus? Well, as we head into this period where the coronavirus is starting to take more of a hold, we're going to need to show our love to each other differently. I had this whole sermon that I was going to be talking about on making sure that you're here at church, being on time, following up those who aren't at church. But under these current circumstances... Loving each other may mean not coming to church if you're feeling unwell. Loving others may mean self-isolating so that the virus doesn't spread. Loving others might be saying, well, if it's going to impact the most vulnerable, then how can we help them in other ways? Maybe we can order some online shopping or go and pick up uh, shopping for our brothers and sisters who are most vulnerable. Maybe we can call them on the phone and help them to know that they're loved. I'll speak more about this uh, a bit later on in the talk. Another way we can love one another is by praying for each other, being watchful and thankful. Each week we're given a, a weekly printed newsletter uh, that highlights people in church that we're praying for who are not doing well. Let me ask you, are you praying for them at home? Are you praying watchfully? I think praying watchfully means that you're not only praying for them, but you're also calling them up and saying, uh, are you in need? How can I help you? Are you praying thankfully? Are you rejoicing with them when their prayers are answered? Friends, in these strange times that we find ourselves in, we can need to consider how we are being self-sacrificial in the way that we love one another. Well, the final aspect of this passage is to ask why God wants us to love each other in this way. 
And the obvious answer might be, well, because this is how we build good relationships within God's family. Or the answer, uh, another obvious answer might be, well, it's just the right thing to do. Jesus commands us, so we should do it. But Jesus gives us another reason. Can you see there in the passage? Have a look with me at verse 35. It says, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus says, if you love other disciples in this way, then those around you, in the community around you, and in the world around you, will know that you are his disciples. You see, it's by the way that we love each other that people outside of the church, outside of God's community, understand who we are. Back in the early church, Christians were uh, so loving of one another that they were accused of being incestuous because Christians would call each other brother or sister in Christ. And from an outside perspective, people thought that we were marrying our own brothers and sisters. But that wasn't happening. This is just the words that Christians were using to describe each other. But what it should remind us of is that those in the outside world are watching us about what we do and what we say. In fact, there was an article in the Sydney Morning Herald the other day about how churches are responding to the coronavirus. People are watching us. What would they say about you and I? As the non-Christian world around us views us, what would they say about you and I? Let me just say as a side here, this is where it concerns me when Christians have arguments in public forums like social media. I think social media can bring out the best in Christians, but also the worst in Christians, and the non-Christian world is watching. Are we being hypocritical using these mediums? Are we being godly and loving? Often most of what I see is not helpful, and it concerns me the message that we are sending to those with the world watching. There's a band called DC Talk, and at the beginning of one of their songs, they have this quote that goes something like this. The biggest form of hypocrisy is a Christian who claims to follow Jesus by what they say, but denies him by the way that they live. It's true, isn't it? If we say we want to live one way according to following Jesus' ways, but then live a totally different way, we will be accused of being hypocritical. I'm not sure if you've come across anyone like this in your life that say they are followers of the Lord Jesus, but, but don't live out this command of Jesus. I, I once met one who said that he followed Jesus, but he said, but I hate going to church. I'd never go to church. I can't stand being around people who go to church. It's bizarre, isn't it? A Christian saying to me, yes, I follow the Lord Jesus, but I don't want to hang around with other Christians. Needless to say, the conversation didn't last long because I took him to this verse. It says, Jesus gives us a command, we're to love one another. Isn't this the mark of whether we are a disciple of his? In fact, Jesus says, yes, this is what your mark is to the world around you. And so it's important that we reflect this in our lives and this teaching continues to impact us. So the question is, how, what example are we living? What example are we giving to those outside the church? Well, friends, as I've said before, we are living in strange times. This coronavirus is impacting our world in a way that we have never seen in our lifetime. And as a church, we are certainly not immune to this, are we? In the context of this talk, I want to just briefly think about how we can show love to one another here at church in order to show those around us that we are God's disciples. 
Well, I think the fir first and foremost, the most obvious way we can care for one another is being mindful about how you're feeling. As I said, if you're, if you're already said, if, if you're feeling sick in any way, then it's probably best for you to stay at home and not come to our public gatherings until you feel better. We'll aid to help you by live streaming our services, uh, either one of them or all of them from next week, so that you don't feel like you're missing out. Please let us know if this is you so that we can follow you up and pastorally make sure that you're going okay. But also if you're someone who is anxious or one of the vulnerable people who gets really sick from viruses like this, it also may be good for you to stay at home. We'd like you to be safe and join in our services through live streaming. But again, please let us know because we'll want to continue to care for you and follow you up in this way. For our members who are over 60, you are in a particularly vulnerable age group and we need to make decisions as to whether we'll continue with our 8 o'clock congregation in order to slow the spread of the virus. But if we do, it'll only be done in order for the safety and love of those who come to that service. The advice that I'm getting from, uh, from medical authorities is that large group meetings together should be avoided for the moment. While we, uh, we will run the AGM uh, tomorrow evening, we're going to ask people at the AGM, unless you're in a family group, to not sit closely together. Uh, but I think that it's to be expected over the next few months, things may look a bit different here at church. But we'll aim to help you during this time. If we do run church activities, we'll always make sure that they are safe and constantly be reviewing how we do church together. In fact, one way of doing church well, really well together is by encouraging people to still meet, but one-to-one, -to, -one, to read the Bible together uh, if you can't make it to our church meetings. In this way, hoping that you'll continue to feel loved by God and loved by your brothers and sisters here at church. Uh, the staff and I, over the next week, will consider these things and, uh, and more over the coming week. And I'll write to the whole church this week again, letting you know the way that we are thinking and the way ahead that we will go. But the second and most important aspect of how we can uh, show the world, and I, I really want to say this to conclude, uh, to, to show the world that we are disciples of Jesus, was summed up really well by a minister called Guy Mason. Guy Mason is the senior minister of a church in Melbourne called City on a Hill. Uh, and he put this up on his Facebook post, and I want to conclude by reading it to you. In the second century, the world was struck by uh, Antonian plague. It's believed the pandemic was introduced to the Roman Empire by soldiers returning from Syria. Five million people died. In the following century, the plague of Cyprian spread across the world from Africa. It was transmitted person to person by physical contact, and half of all people who encountered the disease died. It's said that during each pandemic, government officials and wealthy, uh, wealthy citizens fled the cities uh, for the countryside to escape those who were infected. It was, however, men and women of faith who stayed behind. Instead of hiding in shadows, they faced the darkness. Instead of running in panic, they entered the disease. Instead of fearing death, they offered light, love and life. Bishop uh, Dionysius praised the efforts of the early church. This is what he said. Most of our Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of da danger, they took charge of the sick 
attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves in sickness of their neighbour and cheerfully accepting their pains. And Guy Mason goes on to say, at moments like this, it's moments like this that challenge and remind me who I am in Christ. Christianity is not a club for like-minded people. Christianity is not a tribe for those looking for a comfortable and easy life. Christianity is a movement of sacrifice and grace. We are called to be a light set on a hill. We exist in the world to serve with courage, humility and sacrifice. In Jesus, we view life and death in the context of heaven. In Jesus, we stand secure in his love. In Jesus, we set our eyes on the heavenly reality that is to come. And so let our light shine before others that they may see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. Friends, as Guy Mason says this, he's not telling us to be frivolous with our lives, but rather to be living sacrifices for the Lord Jesus Christ. So my prayer is that even during these challenging times, we look to live this way over the coming weeks. I urge you to love one another so that by this, all people will know we are disciples of the Lord Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus and for his command to love one another. Help us to be those who hear these words. And as we come into these times, these strange times, we pray that you give us great wisdom as to how we are to act and how we are to show this love to one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're going to do questions now, starting with this one. There are three or four different types of love in the Bible. Can it be boiled down or, or summed up in God's selfless love, like what you spoke about today? Or, or does that dismiss the other aspects of the other types of love in the Bible? Uh, no, I don't think it does uh, dismiss the other types of love. I think this is love, the other types of love in action. Uh, there are other loves in the Bible, but uh, or, uh, ways of loving people or emphasis of what the love is about, but actually that self-sacrificial love uh, that Jesus displays on the cross is the ultimate act of love. And I think we read it, that passage that I read from 1 John really highlights that that's the sort of love that Jesus is talking about here. Jesus loves us perfectly and he's calling his imperfect disciples to love others. Is it possible for us to love this way even with the Holy Spirit's help? Mm. Uh, I think the answer is uh, yeah, Jesus wouldn't call on us to love this way if we couldn't do it but that doesn't mean we won't make mistakes uh, in the way that we do it. Uh, and so I think Jesus calls us to love in the way that he has loved and we see actually that demonstrated in a lot of people's lives, a lot of Christian people's lives. So I think, yes, we do have the capacity to do that, but we do need to recognise that we are still marred by sin and so we're not going to get it right every time. Practical question, how do I know who to love? Hmm. Yeah, I think I'll uh, just look around the room now and, uh, and see who's here. There you can start with all of them. Uh, you can uh, start with uh, those who call themselves uh, members of, uh, of our church uh, and uh, 
we don't have a church directory, do we? So that's a bit harder for other people to do. Maybe we might need to change that in the future. Um, but uh, but I think start with the people in the room and then look who's not here that you know who should be here uh, and, and love them as well in that way. So start small. And can I just finish with one last question? Uh, why is it a new commandment? Mm. If it sums up lots of the spirit of the law of the Old Testament, why is it a new commandment? Yeah, look, I think it's only a new commandment in the sense that Jesus says it's a new commandment. This is the first time he's given that command, so it's, it's new. But it reflects what we already know about God, what we already know about the Lord Jesus, what we find in the Old Testament. So new in terms of the point of time that it's given, but not necessarily a new sentiment in the command.